Hi, welcome back to Everyday Anarchism. This is your host, Graham Colbertson. Today's episode is a Q&A titled, Should Anarchists Support Vaccine Mandates? I've decided to do the Q&As differently. I was really hoping to have every other week be sort of a response to listeners about the previous week, because I just liked the idea of a back and forth, a conversation. But questions keep coming in, and most of them are still about episode one and the general ideas of anarchism. So I'm going to give up the dream for now of doing the episodes that way, and just every other week will be a Q&A, and I will just pick some questions that seem useful and valuable and go together well, and will answer them. But before I get to that, some updates. The big update I have a website, and it is just everydayanarchism.com. So if you have a chance, check it out. This means I am also ready officially to go into growth mode with the podcast. So if you would like, you can give me your email address, and I am going to start a, a newsletter. I think I'm going to call it Anarchist Hot Takes. So if you sign up, you'll get that newsletter. It's totally free. You do not have to give me any money to sign up for this newsletter. But as you may recall from the first episode, I am also asking for financial support. I'm not going to do advertisements or sponsorships for this podcast. So if it's going to stay alive, I need financial support. I've already gotten some money come in from people. Thank you. That is so generous. And, uh, I'm going to try and keep this podcast alive simply by asking you, if you like the podcast, to pledge ideally monthly. I mean, I think the basic idea would be $5 a month. If enough people give $5 a month, I can run this podcast forever. So just think about, is this podcast valuable to you? Is it $5 a month valuable to you? Then come sign up. If not, but you still enjoy listening to it and you want to support it, Tell your friends, share it on social media, write a review uh, on Apple Podcasts, especially a five-star review. I think the average review on Apple Podcasts is a five-star review, so four is actually a below-average review. So four is a, a nice number. It's the equivalent of a B plus. I'm a teacher. If you give a student a B plus, they freak out, and you're like, uh, B plus is good. It's above average. It means you did good work. But uh, the students are actually right. College is. And parents do not view a B plus as a good grade. So a B plus is a bad grade, even if I, as the teacher, thought it was a good grade. And I think that's how it works for four out of five star reviews on, um, on Apple Podcast. You might view four out of five as a, a good score. And I do too. It's like, hey, great. This person evaluated me quite highly near the top. But I think listeners... They they want to listen to a podcast with a 4.9 rating, not a 4.2 rating. 4.2 is like, ugh, that sucks. That's basically a B plus. So that's just how that works, unfortunately. So with that out of the way, I should say I also have an Instagram account. It's going to be awesome anarchist quotes with amazing uh, backgrounds from William Morris, who was an anarchist and also a really, really, really beautiful textile designer. So that'll be fun. And 
I also have some designs, including some of those William Morris designs on this website, Tee Public, which is a place, it's a print-on-demand place. I think they do really good work. I've bought some of the shirts myself. I'm happy with it. If you buy those shirts, I get a, a small amount, so that definitely helps the show for you to buy the shirts. Giving directly helps way more. So if you want to support the show, just pledge some money on the website. If you want an awesome t-shirt designed by Everyday Anarchism, buy that, and that will help me some. But if you're buying the t-shirts, or you can make them stickers or mugs or whatever, that will help me some, but mostly that's because you want something awesome, which also will make me feel wonderful and very happy. Okay, the title is, Should Anarchists Support Vaccine Mandates of this episode? I'm going to answer a few other questions, but I'm going to give the title to the first question, which I also expect to have the longest answer. This is a huge question. In fact, I wrote an entire episode about it, and I'm not using that script. I decided not to use it. It just, this whole topic felt too political. I just decided I didn't want to touch it. I didn't necessarily like what was happening as I was responding to this question. And yet, although I don't think anyone sent this in formally as a question, it has come up over and over again in conversations with friends or when people send in a question, they sort of mention anarchist vaccine mandates and how they're interested in that, but they, it's not their formal question. I think Sam Brock asked about it uh, when we were chatting either before or after the Tolkien interview. This is just something that it seems like, seems like if you're thinking about anarchism in 2021, would you approve of a vaccine mandate? And I just thought this was too capital A anarchist, too political for this show that I really mostly wanted to have a good vibe, a radical vibe, but not a militant vibe. But I've decided it's unavoidable. So should anarchists support vaccine mandates? No. That's the short answer. No mandates for anything. Mandates are bad. But... There's a lot more to say about that. So the first thing to say is when I am thinking mandate, I am thinking a mandate that is being run by the government or by a giant corporation. Um, if by vaccine mandate, you're talking about restaurants or gyms requiring uh, the vaccine, that seems totally fine by me. There's all sorts of organizations in our world that we can think of as voluntary associations. This is a word that some anarchists like, and this philosopher John Dewey likes a lot, voluntary associations. And it gets tricky when you're thinking about discrimination. So um, I, we usually don't like, and I, I, I agree with this, surely you understand I agree with this, when um, women or Jewish people or black people are banned from certain clubs, associations. This is a big problem for golf courses historically in the South. Obviously, just simply restaurants. A major uh, early flashpoint for the civil rights movement um, was a segregation famously of buses and also of restaurants. So I do like the idea in general that those places should be open as opposed to as opposed to racist, as opposed to discriminatory. 
But insofar as those places are to a certain extent voluntary, you know, the management refuses the right to provide service to anyone. Well, that that seems fair to me. And so gyms and restaurants and also all the other things, churches, um, clubs, any sort of organization or small business that wants to have a vaccine mandate, I, I support that. And you can go form another club. You can start a new gym. There are alternatives to that. The problem with governmental mandates and corporate mandates is there are not alternatives to them. So those just seem to me restrict freedom in a really pure way, in a way in which a smaller community-based vaccine mandate does not. So let me go deeper into the idea of opposing a vaccine mandate. Um, the first thing is that uh, people just say something like, oh, you need to trust the science. The vaccine is safe. As if people who are skeptical about the vaccines are idiots. I'm going to do a whole episode on science. It should come out in about a month. Uh, don't, don't trust the science. Do not trust the science. Um, there's, I mean, there are just crazy about faces about this. I mean, I was thinking of one of the things that drove me towards anarchism was during the Trump administration, all of a sudden, everyone on the left loved the FBI. Now, the FBI has been the enemy of the left since there has been an FBI. They've hunted down, deported, wrongfully convicted everyone they could find on the left, all the anarchists, but also the communists, the Marxists. They've been a form of white supremacy and just general discrimination pretty much the whole time. That's what the FBI does. That's what it always has done anyway. It's not that everything the FBI has done has been bad, but that's been the general MO of the FBI. And then all of a sudden when Trump was president and the FBI was investigating him, it was all, oh, we love James Comey and we love Robert Mueller, who are Republican cops. And I was just disgusted with the people on the left who are, they were willing to work with any institution and support any institution that they thought would stop Trump. And I really thought it was a betrayal of principles. And that made me think, oh, wow, maybe I don't belong as just a regular member of the left. What does that have to do with vaccine mandates? Well, there are few groups, few institutions in the world hated more by the left than big pharma. And the FDA is an institution that I certainly believe is doing its best. But did you know that roughly 75% of the work the FDA does is funded by the big pharmaceutical companies? This is not a good system. The pharmaceutical companies falsify data all the time, and the FDA lets them get away with it all the time. Just Google FDA falsify data, Google ProPublica FDA you will find terrible, terrible things about the scientific process at the FDA. And of course, Big Pharma is a monstrosity and is widely, widely loathed, or was widely loathed by everyone on the left. Then all of a sudden, the vaccines came out, and the vaccines are good. I believe the vaccines are good. I fully trust the vaccines. But anyone who doesn't trust 
the FDA and Big Pharma has really good reasons. And we are currently rolling our eyes at them and saying they are conspiracy theorists and they only listen to Trump. And I'm really confused because I thought Pfizer and Merck and Moderna were the enemy. And I just saw, I think yesterday, that the New York Times published an article that said Moderna is basically doing everything it can to make as much money as possible off the vaccine. Do not trust the science. Do you want to trust science? That means trusting science as a process. It is messy. It is complicated. Nothing is ever certain. I believe in this vaccine with the knowledge that we have approved things that have turned out to be horrible mistakes before. I think you're making a huge mistake if you don't get the vaccine. But I would never tell someone they need to just trust the science. Don't listen. Don't worry about it. Don't ask questions. Trust the science does not mean I saw a scientist on TV and they said to do this and therefore I am going to do this. It means trust the rigorous, messy, complicated process to do a good job in the long run. I don't think this vaccine was developed too fast. Not at all. But if you do think this vaccine was developed too fast, that is a reasonable position. I think you are wrong, but that is a reasonable position. And I understand the desire to get back to normal. I understand the desire to get everyone vaccinated. I think that is right. Now, I know that um, ask questions, don't trust the government. That's what conspiracy theorists say. So if you're hearing me saying this, you think it's the next step to uh, why don't you go eat some horse dewormer because you did your own research. But I mean, I did my own research insofar as I was able to, and I feel great about Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. I feel great about their vaccines. I think if anyone who genuinely asked questions would feel good about it, if they had the scientific literacy, which a huge number of people do not. I have a PhD. I work with scientists. I have friends who are scientists. I can read scientific papers. I've taught science writing. A lot of people don't have those skills and understanding. But I do think if you've done the research and you have those skills, you're going to come up with a good answer. And always ask questions is great advice. There was a great headline in the New York Times about Joe Rogan. I think it was uh, always asking questions, never learning anything. So there's a conspiracy theorist version of always asking questions, which is bullshit, which is like, I don't know, man, those vaccines. I don't know, but you can definitely 100% eat the horse dewormer and you will be totally fine. That is nonsense. No one who is actually asking questions, who really wants to find answers, will eat the horse dewormer. Ivermectin is crap. So I would tell you always asking questions. I would say Joe Rogan might be always asking questions, but he is never listening. Alex Jones, always asking questions. Not really. Those people aren't actually questioning. You know who is always asking questions? Scientists. A scientist's job is to never trust that science knows fully what the truth is. So you've got to understand when you say science is real, what that really means is that it's always a good idea to always be asking questions. But it also means accepting the answers and sharing your questions and answers in a community of people who are committed to asking and answering. 
Certainly Joe Rogan and Alex Jones are not doing that. But the people who are shouting, trust the science, you have to get vaccinated, they're not doing that either. Reasonable people who have studied the scientific process and the FDA process and big pharma can come to the conclusion that this vaccine is not a good idea. I know most of the people who have come to that conclusion are unreasonable. The solution then is to talk to them, not to force them to do something. More on that in a second. Okay, the next thing I've seen is that um, one of the ways that you can accept a mandate is if it's just a fake mandate. Early in the pandemic, not about vaccines, but about masks, um, governments were mandating masks. And they said, we're not going to arrest anyone. We're not going to put them in jail. We're just going to talk to them and try to get them to wear a mask. Great. A plus. I fully support that. But that is not a mandate. A mandate means consequences. A mandate means punishment. If you are mandating something and you are the government, that means you are going to use force and prison to make it happen. But you can't mandate your way out of COVID if you're using prison. COVID loves prison. COVID will spread like crazy in prison. COVID is one thing that a mandate is no use. You can lock people up to prevent them from doing violence. You'll probably create more violence in the long run, but you can, in a short-term, limited way, lock people up to create a lack of violence. You can't do that with COVID. If you lock people up, you are going to spread COVID. There is no mandate that can stop the spread of COVID. The only thing that can stop the spread of COVID is people's belief that wearing masks, getting vaccinated, and social distancing work. The other thing is just basically the government trying to convince you this is a good idea. That's great. But don't call that a mandate. If you truly support a mandate, you support the government going into people's homes, arresting them, hitting them if they resist, and forcibly vaccinating them. I don't think you actually support that. I don't think anyone does. And I think the reason why I see tons of support for this in, in my community, you know, the uh, upper class professional community, the cis, white, male, intellectual community is because at some level, we don't really believe in state violence. David Graeber writes about this all the time. We know that it's incredibly unlikely that the state is going to come to our house and shoot us. So we say, hey, mandates are fine because we haven't really reckoned with state violence. If we have reckoned with State violence, it's through the lens of Black Lives Matter, where we're looking at some true atrocities committed against Black people. We are not reckoning with the way that state violence is a threat that many, many Americans live with every day. And when we say have a mandate, if we mean a mandate that's not enforced, 
with the police, then it's not really a mandate. And if we mean a mandate that is enforced with the police, how can we say defund the police? How can we say Black Lives Matter and say the vaccine should be mandated? So you got to decide, are you for or against police violence? Because if you're against police violence, you are against a real mandate. And if you are for the government advising everyone to get a mask on and get the vaccine and get socially distant, then I'm with you. But don't call that a mandate. In North Carolina, the state I live in, when the government came back with a mask mandate, they actually didn't make it a mask mandate the second time around. They made it a mask advisory. And I heard these reporters questioning them, the uh, governor and one of the health experts. And the reporters were, you know, they were just asking questions. But it was very clear that they did not think this was okay, that they thought the government needed to do something stronger. And they said, why aren't you doing a mandate? And I think the governor sidestepped it and made the health expert answer. And what the health expert said essentially was, we're trying to help people. We are trying to help people. We're trying to convince people. We're trying to keep everyone safe. So we need people wearing masks. We don't need to be trying to force people to wear masks. So that's it for um, the government-based mandate. But the other kind of mandate is the job-based mandate. This is the mandate that seems to be really working. It's been encouraged by Joe Biden, and it's incredibly popular. Your company can just fire you if you are not vaccinated. This sounds great. I mean, it's incredibly sensible because otherwise you will come to work and get people sick. And it is terrible and awful and dangerous to be unvaccinated. But just like with the state-based mandate, state-based violence lies underneath this mandate. So Paulo Freire, don't know how to pronounce that. He's a Brazilian um, educational theorist. I would say the greatest educational theorist of all time. One of my heroes, uh, one of the people who inspired me to get more interested in anarchism, even though he identified more as a Marxist than an anarchist, but definitely I would say he was an anarchist educator. He says that maybe the most dangerous myth in society is the belief that if you don't like your job, you can just get another one. But we know it doesn't work that way. It's hard to find a new job, especially to find a new good job. It seems easy. Oh, they, they just have to quit their job if they don't want to be vaccinated. But in America, if you don't have a job, you are basically a criminal. You are given some state support begrudgingly and with tons of bureaucratic invasion into your life. And ultimately, if you don't have a job and you don't have lots of wealth, you know where you end up? You end up in a homeless shelter or in the hospital or in prison. What does that mean? That means now we as a society are paying for your care. The corporation has cut ties with you, but we refuse to cut ties with you. We will try and take care of you. And please don't tell me that you want the unvaccinated to be turned away from hospitals and homeless shelters. I understand the impulse, but we are either in this together or we are not. So then once they end up in that homeless shelter or hospital or prison, more people are going to get infected. What if they show up to work and refuse to leave? Well, you know what happens then? the cops come and the cops tase them, hit them with a stick, shoot them, drag them away. 
And we're okay with that because you see, we're not okay with the government doing violence to someone because it's mad at them. But if a corporation asks the government to do violence to someone, that's okay. Somehow that is constitutional. So we're like, oh, it's unconstitutional for the government to come into your house and shoot you. But if they come into your place of work and shoot you, that's fine because the corporation called them to do it. I personally do not believe in this kind of strong distinction between corporate power and government power. If the government oppresses you because a corporation is trying to get you to do something you don't want to do, that seems to me that's that's worse than straight up government impression. And that's not the world I want to live in. A job-based mandate sounds good on the surface, but that only works if there's a way for people to eat and have shelter without jobs. And in America, there isn't another way to eat and have shelter except to have enormous wealth. And those are not the people that we are trying to help. They are helping themselves enough already. So what are we going to do? Obviously, I've already given one answer, which is small-scale, community-based, non-violent, non-coercive mandates. The other thing we've got to do is propaganda by the deed. Now, propaganda by the deed is really just a version of the idea of direct action, of going out and doing something about it. And it has a long history in anarchist thinking with violence, property destruction, and assassination. When people say that anarchists are evil criminals, who just want to watch the world burn, they are talking about propaganda by the deed. And I am going to deal with that tradition of anarchism in the next Q&A, as I've already mentioned. But this is everyday anarchism. I'm not going to advise you <laughs> to do violence and break windows. I don't even know how you could do violence and property destruction to fight COVID. Here's what you can can do, which is try to help people get vaccinated. Oh, I do need to say propaganda in the late 19th century, it hadn't been tainted by the idea of lying yet. That really comes with the Nazis, the idea that propaganda is lying. Propaganda just meant trying to convince someone of your positions. So the first thing is propaganda, regular old propaganda, not in the lying sense, but just trying to convince someone, I think you should get vaccinated. If you are not vaccinated, I think you should get vaccinated. I think it's a good idea. I'm not a scientist, but I'm highly science literate. I've spoken to a number of doctors and scientists about the vaccine. I feel great about the vaccine. I think you should get vaccinated. It could save your life. It could save the life of a parent or sibling or child or spouse. It could save some random person you have never met. There are side effects. They're almost always minor. There's almost no circumstances ever, almost none, where the side effects are worse than getting COVID. You should get vaccinated. Okay, but that's not good enough. That's propaganda, not propaganda by the deed. So besides imploring you to get vaccinated, what can I do? I can get vaccinated. So I got vaccinated. So yes, I did it myself. I took this risk on 
to myself. What else can you do? If you have gotten vaccinated and you're not planning on podcasting, help people get vaccinated. Watch their kids if they are struggling to get there. Make them a casserole if they are worried about being sick and not being able to cook if they have bad side effects. Put your N95 mask on and roll your windows down and drive them to the local drugstore or the local clinic if they don't have any other way to get there or if your presence will strengthen their resolve to get the vaccine. That is anarchist propaganda by the deed. It is not the government's job to force everyone to get vaccinated with the police. It is our job to help everyone get vaccinated. There's a group of people out there, I know, that it feels like you will never be able to convince. It feels like they have utterly lost the thread of reality. It feels like it's time to give up on them and just let them die or let the government force them to get vaccinated. It's scary to live in the same world with those people. I know it is. But here's an anarchist harsh truth. We do live in a world with other people. The government doesn't prevent us from living in the world with those scary people. We've got to figure out a way to live with those people and declaring them the other side who will not listen to reason, who there is no point to talk to anymore, that you hope they die. I don't believe that's going to make the world a better place. I don't think you're going to convince them by telling them to trust the science. I don't think you're going to convince them by telling them they should get fired. They might get vaccinated because they're scared of getting fired, but now you've used fear and coercion. They're especially going to be confused if you call the cops on them for being unvaccinated when you've got that Black Lives Matter and defund the police sign outside of your house. If we're going to do this coherently, we need to convince the people who seem unconvincible right now. We're not going to convince all of them, but neither would a government mandate reach everyone. We need to be willing to live in this scary world with other people and do our best to convince them that we are in mutual aid with them. And that, I believe, is the best way to get them in mutual aid with us. So, should anarchists support vaccine mandates? I'll turn this into another set of questions, and I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to let you answer it, although you know what my answer is. Which scenario do you think is safer in the long run? One in which we try to use mutual aid, understanding, and propaganda by the deed to get people vaccinated? Or one where we use the threat of unemployment and the threat of the police to convince people to get vaccinated? Which one is the world you want to live in? Okay, I'm still not sure I should have answered that question, but for better or worse, I have. Let's get to some other questions. I'm not going to take as long with these answers. So Courtney asks, can you discuss the connection or disconnection between anarchism and the idea of utopia? Great question, Courtney. <laughs> Very exciting. There's so much to talk about, and there will be multiple episodes about utopias. 
But the real quick answer is yes, anarchism is a form of utopia. And I think that's a good thing. There's a tradition of hating on the idea of utopia. I don't believe it, and I don't believe anarchists should buy that either. Let me explain a little bit more. First thing to do is define utopia briefly. Utopia is a perfect place or ideal society, but not a real one. One that's been described with the idea that we could make our world more like it. The word is first used by Thomas More, who is a very interesting and complicated thinker writing in the 16th century. You may have heard of him. He is famous because he resisted Henry VIII. Thomas More was Catholic, and he wanted England to remain Catholic. And when Henry VIII tried to make England Protestant, Henry VIII killed Thomas More. So he wrote this book, Utopia, U-T-O-P-I-A, by which we mean a perfect place. But that's not actually what the word means in Latin. It's like untopia. That U means place that doesn't exist. And there's a pun E-U-T-O-P-I-A is also pronounced utopia. And that means the good place or the perfect place. A lot of people think that Thomas More was an anti-utopian thinker. And his joke was you think you're getting a e-utopia, a good place, but actually you're just deluding yourself with your utopia, your nonsense place. So one way to think of utopia is that it's bad because it distracts you from doing the real work. I don't think so at all. David Graeber says the difference between an anarchist and everyone else is that we actually believe that the crappy things about this world can be fixed. Everyone knows bureaucracy sucks and no one likes the police as they are. But everyone else just sort of says, eh, what you going to do? And anarchists say, let's make the world a better place. That's utopia. And one of the great defenders of utopia is Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde writes, A map of the world that does not include utopia is not worth even glancing at, for it leaves out the one country at which humanity is always landing. And when humanity lands there, it looks out, and seeing a better country, sets sail. Progress is the realization of utopias. So maybe if you think that Utopia is this one perfect place and we've got to get there that everything is solved, then utopia is a bad idea. But that's not very anarchist. Anarchism says we're just going to keep landing in this better world if we keep working at it, and then we can work it to land in the better world after that. Progress is the attempt to create a utopia, and for Wilde, that's anarchism. The utopia is anarchism. And in fact, it is literally true in the 18th century in Europe that anarchism is the utopia of almost every person who believes in making the world a better place. Um, Here is the historian Eric Hobsbawm writing about this period. A world in which all were happy and every individual fully and freely realized his or her potentialities, in which freedom reigned and government that was coercion had disappeared, was the ultimate aim of both liberals and socialists. What distinguishes the various members of the ideological family descended from humanism and the Enlightenment, liberal, socialist, communist, or anarchist, is not the gentle anarchy, which is the utopia of all of them, but the methods of achieving it. 
So according to Hobbesbaum, everyone who set out to realize a utopia wanted anarchism. He's using the term gentle anarchy to make the distinction we all have to make between anarchy as war and anarchy as uncoerced harmony. The only difference between anarchists as opposed to the Marxist, socialist, liberal democrats, libertarians, etc., is that anarchists think that anarchism is how you get anarchism. Marx thought first you had to have a class war and destruction of all sorts of things and give all sorts of power to certain groups of people who could then make the world better, and then eventually you could get to anarchism. Let's not do that. Let's just make the world a little bit more anarchist every day until we have achieved the utopia. Here's Oscar Wilde again. It will, of course, be said that such a scheme as is set forth here is quite unpractical and goes against human nature. This is perfectly true. It is unpractical and it goes against human nature. That is why it is worth carrying out and that is why one proposes it. For what is a practical scheme? A practical scheme is either a scheme that is already in existence or a scheme that could be carried out under existing conditions. But it is exactly the existing conditions that one objects to, and any scheme that could accept these conditions is wrong and foolish. The conditions will be done away with and human nature will change. The only thing that one really knows about human nature is that it changes. Change is the one quality we can predict of it. Now that is anarchist utopianism. Anarchism isn't the goal, it's the plan. You don't need a plan to get to utopia. You just need anarchism. That's the utopia everyone wants. It's a world in which everyone is happy and there is no force and violence. How do we get there? By making a world in which more people are happier and there's less force and violence. Have faith in mutual aid, practice mutual aid, and you will get utopia. You just got to convince more and more people of that. Okay, final question from Tony. So in an earlier episode, you said something about states being afraid of anarchism. Why would they be? I think you gave some historical examples, but is it maybe that the people can collectively choose not to believe in the systems? Okay, I'm glad Tony sent in this question because I did answer a version of this question already, and now I'm not so sure anymore. I think I was talking about the commune, the Paris commune, and uh, the sort of anarchist parts of the Spanish Civil War when I say that governments are afraid that anarchism will work and then people will stop believing in systems and then the politicians are out of a job. But while I think there's a little bit of that, I don't think that is the main thing. I am going to talk more about this, what, I've called, what I'm going to call anxiety of anarchism. The idea that anarchism might work and that's what's wrong with it because the people who have power don't want anarchism to work because they lose their power. But I don't think that's what most people believe. Most people just honestly believe anarchism will not work. And so they are scared that if anarchism happens, the world will descend into violence and misery. So here's a quote from an anarchist historian, Ian Forrest, um, talk, talking about finding anarchism in the Middle Ages. I'm hoping to get Professor Forrest on the show. Um, if you're listening, Professor Forrest, I'm hoping to get you on the show. Send me an email. Um, he says, despite many challenges and revisions to constitutional history, 
historians of politics are still working under its shadow. It is a manner of writing about the state that is highly teleological and blinkered. State growth is treated as a, quote, good, not warranting critical examination, because in most liberal historiography and social science writing, modern states are considered as, on balance, good, or better than the alternatives, whatever wrongs they may do. So first, if you don't know the word teleological, it means goal-based. It just is the idea that there's not just progress, but progress going to some specific place. And Professor Forrest is writing that when people write the history of the ninth century, they are assuming that getting a big, strong government is good. It is the goal. And these are left-wing historians who will be highly critical of government, but they just believe that the world is good when there are strong states. I tended to teach that way until the last year or two when a lot of things happened. One of the things that happened was Trump was elected, that I became disillusioned with the idea of the strong state that would help us. If left-wing historians of politics just reflexively assume that the state is good, then definitely governments and military leaders are going to assume the state is good. So I don't think, for the most part, people are afraid it's going to work. I will talk about this more in a future episode about Batman. But I think it's just the belief that states are good is so deep in Western thinking, and Western thinking has been dominating the world for, I mean, at least the last 200 years, but maybe the past 500 years, that just the assumption of a strong state equals good is unquestioned. When we talk about the countries where things are not going very well, right, the countries that uh, President Trump just revoltingly called shithole countries, the uh, more polite term is developing countries. But you know what that means? That means we are hoping they develop a state. That means we assume that every country should be like a Western nation state, and that they're just in some sort of caterpillar stage, and eventually they will become a butterfly, like America or Germany. In some ways, shithole countries is more polite. At least it just says this is a state that sucks, not this is a state that sucks because they're not like me, because once you have a government like our government, you are automatically good. But we seem unable to think this way. Another synonym for shithole countries is failed states. If there is something wrong with a country, if it doesn't work well, if people are starving, if there's genocide, we say it's a failed state. Oh, if only there was a strong government there. That would save everything. We're not trying to think that way, or I wasn't trying to think that way, Tony. But I was thinking that way. And so if I had been a head of state and I heard that there was an anarchist outbreak, I would have been like, well, let's send in the troops, find some bureaucrat who will be president and give him our military. And then there will be a state and then we won't have a failed state anymore. And then we can develop this country to be just like America. 
that's just a way of thinking. Clearly, since I'm doing this podcast, I don't buy this way of thinking anymore. But those of us who are left-wing intellectuals, I'm completely convinced by this Ian Forrest quote, we are all, or most of us, he's, he's an anarchist historian, so he's not convinced, and I'm not convinced anymore. But traditionally, our way of thinking about the world has been to assume a powerful state is a good thing, or, quote, better than the alternatives. So you don't have to ask yourself if anarchism is good or not. If your deepest belief is that states are good, you know automatically that anarchism is wrong. I'm trying to question that. Okay, that's it for this episode. Um, please email me questions, comments at uh, everydayanarchismpodcast at gmail.com. Check out the new website, everydayanarchism.com. Um, sign up for the email newsletter. Subscribe to Instagram. If you like the show and you want to keep it alive, uh, support it with a one-time or a monthly donation. And I will see you next week for Jesus of Nazareth, part one, Jesus Christ.